you weren't here last week, and uh, I know summer was wrapping up, so it was kind of our last, uh, maybe many people's last chance to get away. Uh, we began this series, you can see behind me, uh, called The Heartbeat of Harvest Hill, and I really want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go to the church's website, or if you have an iTunes account, to begin subscribing to the Harvest Hill podcast, not to get more subscribers to that. But as we walk through this, this is not only to impact for the next four weeks, but the impact where we're going to be going is as a church family, as Harvest Hill, and what God has laid upon my heart as the pastor and the direction we should go. I think Mike uh, Marler kind of uh, summed it up really well last Monday for the men's bre- or prayer time, and that this isn't like to say, okay, everything we've done has been wrong. No, it's, it's to, to come alongside this to give us clarity what direction we're going to go and, and what we should be doing and what is the point of all this stuff that we do, whether it's uh, small groups or Wednesday Night Live or you know, Wednesdays at the park or Vacation Bible School. What is the point of all this? What, is, what are we aiming for? You know, we as people uh, that come to Harvest Hill are, are aware it's love God, love people. It's on our church van. It's on the website. But what does that look like? How do we do that? What, what, what is the end goal in mind? So that's what we're going to be walking through each each week, these little heartbeats are to represent a letter M. So there's four M's we're going to be looking at. Last week, we talked about the first one over here. Is it all begins with meeting people where they are so they can meet Jesus. And all of us began on that process. Somebody, whether it was a parent, a neighbor, uh, someone we were in a relationship with, a friend, someone met us where we were, invited us to church, told us about Jesus, and eventually we came to a relationship with Christ and, and now this is where we have to realize everybody is, is without Jesus Christ, they're lost. And it, they, they may be the worst person in the world, but what they need is Jesus. They don't need a 10-step plan. They need Jesus in their life to begin changing that around. And we are the representatives. We are the witnesses and the ambassadors of Christ and the kingdom of heaven to go out and meet people where they are in their struggles, in their sin, in their, in their downtime, in their, in their gatherings so that we meet them and we introduce them to Jesus. We talked about last week that uh, successful evangelism or, or uh, evangelism isn't, isn't successful because conversions. Evangelism is, success, is successful is when God's people are, are going out to the people, when we're taking Jesus to the masses, taking Jesus out into the world. That's successful evangelism. You may or may not see a conversion during that process, but that's not on you or me. It's the power of the Spirit working through you. Today we're going to move on to the second M, and most of us here um, have met Jesus. Most of us here have professed Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. If you had to define what it is to be a Christian, how would you define that? Think about that. If you had to if someone asked you, so what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what would you tell them? I think a lot of people would answer that question, well, it means I'm saved. Uh, it means I'm going to heaven when I die and, I'm, and not hell. And, and that's not a wrong answer. I mean, that's, that's, that's biblical. It is salvation in Christ alone. It is by grace that we are saved. I mean, the Bible's full of that. But what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, is that, is that, is that it? As soon as I accept Christ, I did... I follow him in baptism, and I'm saved, and I'm a Christian, and what, what's next? You know, why are we here? What is biblical Christianity? 
I think a lot of churches struggle with this. A lot of believers struggle with this in defining what is biblical Christianity. And if you look in the Bible and how the Bible defines what it is to be a Christian, you find that it's not just salvation, it's discipleship. It's following Jesus Christ. Look, when Jesus first called the, the fishermen, he said what? Come and follow me. That was an invitation. Jesus, as a teacher, as a rabbi, was an invitation Jesus was extending for them to be his disciples, to follow in his shadow, to, to just learn from him, to watch him, to observe him, to become Christ-like. As a Christian, that definition remains true today. So the question is, do you become a disciple for a Christian, or are you a Christian become a disciple? What, you know, chicken or the egg, right? Reality is, is they go hand in hand. I cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. I cannot be a Christian without following the teachings of Jesus Christ. I can't. I do not fit into the model that the Bible gives us. And so for our second M, we meet Jesus, and then we need to mature in our relationship with God. That is biblical discipleship. And so... The question that, that came to my mind, I want to extend today. You know, every year we all have one thing in common. Every year we get a year older, right? We celebrate our birthday or we dread it, one of the two. I mean, you can decide where you are. But every year there's that, that milestone, and, and we, we celebrate it with our kids. You know, uh, they get into double digits, and some parents cry about that, and some are like, yeah, you know, we've survived 10 years of parenting. They, they turn 16, they turn 18, they turn 21, and right? I mean, there's, there's different levels of parenting that we celebrate. And as we get to become adults, you know, we hit 30, and then we stop, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm closer to 30 than I am 40. Or, and, you know, it's, it goes by tinge, right? I'm not 40 yet. I'm not 50 yet. And, you know, and we keep going up. And so we either celebrate or we dread it. And every year we get older, it's supposed to be like this milestone. You know, we're getting taller. We're getting wider. <laughs> we should be getting mature. You know, we should be growing up, right? That's why we celebrate with the kids. They should be growing up. They should be maturing. They should be learning more and knowing more. That's why we let them turn 16 and drive the car because they've learned that. That's why when they turn 18, we let them vote because they should be learning about the world. 21, they get other privileges and they should be learning about things and how to handle those things in life. And so they're maturing. Here's my question. When did you come to Christ? Maybe it was as a child, as a student, as an adult. When did you come to Christ? Just think about that for a second. Okay, I was, I was a kid. I'm not, you know, exact age, doesn't matter. Kid, adult, student. Now, however many years it's been, would you say the years of you being a Christian is representative of how spiritually mature you are? So if you've been a Christian for 10 years, would you say every year that I've been a Christian, I have gotten a little bit more spiritually mature? I've gotten a little closer to God. I've grown in my relationship with God. Paul writes that we should work out our faith with fear and trembling. That means it takes effort. And every year I've gotten a little bit closer. I've got a little bit more knowledge about God. I've understood the Bible a little bit more. Would you say that is representative of your life and your spiritual walk with God? Because when you came to Christ, when you met Jesus, you were zero. You were a new creation, a newborn believer, zero. And so every step, every year that you've grown, have you grown in that relationship? I've been in the ministry now for 
17 plus years. All aspects of ministry, from volunteer to part-time, bivocational, all aspects. One thing I've constantly loved, and I'm sure, Jason, you can agree with me, the joy of recruiting people to work in the ministry. That joy. Joy. So you go to people and you say, hey, I really need a chaperone for this trip. I really need a chaperone for this weekend. I really need someone to teach the Bible uh, to the kids so we can get more in depth and we get more conversation. I need someone just to, to hang out with these people and, and lead. I need, I need people to lead adult classes or youth classes or children's classes. We need people to be involved in Wednesday night or vacation Bible school. And every, every time, no matter what age it is, when I go to some people, the one thing I constantly hear, the reason why they can't, it's because I would, but I don't know enough, or I feel I don't know enough about the Bible. You ever, you ever heard that reason? You ever given that reason? I feel I don't know enough to, to teach, or, you know, uh, I, I, that's a lot of pressure. I, what if they ask me something I don't know? And, and it doesn't just go to leading, it goes into sharing our faith. Every time I've asked someone, hey, you want to go out, we're going to go hit the neighborhoods, we're going to share our faith, and, and that challenge last week to meet people where they are and sharing our faith, and the one reason people give them why they don't share their faith, why they don't lead in the church, why they don't take an active part is, I really just don't feel I know enough about the Bible. It's funny, we don't make that excuse when it comes to working in the kitchen. You know, I don't, I don't go to Monica and say, hey, Monica, can you cook a, a meal for this Sunday's fellowship? And, and she doesn't respond. You know, I would, Pastor, I just don't know enough about the Bible to cook a meal. Or we don't do it for renovation projects. I don't feel I know enough about the Bible to paint a wall. But when it comes to spiritual growth, we'll throw that out. And, and what we're really saying this is just uh, this is a reality check. What you're really saying is, I have not been growing in my relationship with God. Because every time I've gotten that excuse, I've never heard someone say, you know, I don't know enough about the Bible, but I tell you what, Pastor Mike, I'm going to start working and studying harder and getting into the Bible more so that I can do that. I've, have you ever had anybody do that for you? I've never had anyone do that for me. Another reality check. Your growth in your relationship with God, in your growth with your relationship with God, you are either your greatest ally or your worst enemy. You decide how much time you're going to put into this relationship. You decide what sort of resources you're going to use to grow in your relationship with God. You decide what sort of conferences and what sort of classes and what sort of things you're going to listen to to grow in your relationship with God. You make those decisions. You decide how much time am I going to put into this. So you're either your greatest ally or your worst enemy when it comes to your knowledge of God. You can't blame it on anybody else. But the Bible is very clear that as Christians, we are to be disciples. And as disciples, we are to mature. We're to grow up. You know, we tell our kids, would you just grow up? I think sometimes God says that to his children today. I wish you would just grow up. So I want to look at, turn with me to the book of Hebrews real quick. I want us to look at, some of the, the issues that will emerge if we do not grow up, if we do not mature in the faith. And then I also want to look at some of the rewards and benefits in our life when we do do that. 
Hebrews chapter 11, if, if you want to make your way there, just give you a little context to what is going on. Hebrews is, is written by an anonymous writer. We don't know who wrote it. Um, a lot of people say Paul, but when you read through Hebrews, if you could read in the original language, which is Greek, the Greek is so elaborate, it's so detailed that it obviously was not Paul. It does not match, match Paul's Greek um, in his writing. Um, we also can throw Paul out the window because there is no introduction in Hebrews um, saying, you know, this is from Paul and this is to whoever, and there's no uh, sign-off being Paul, which Paul does in every one of his letters. Um, so we don't know who it's from, but God doesn't want to give that to us. It's not as important as the content of the book. It could be from Luke, it could be from Paulos, it could be whoever. But it is from the voice of God, the word of God is written down. And one thing we can gather, if you've read through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is mostly known for Hebrews chapter 12, which is the, uh, or, yeah, which is the 11 and 12, which is the faith chapters. Um, one thing we can gather from the book of Hebrews is the writer is writing to Judeo-Christians. To be a Judeo-Christian would be someone who was most likely a Jew by birth, but accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah spoken by the prophets in the law. And so they have that Jewish ancestry, but they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So they're Judeo-Christians. There are also Judeo-Christians who have accepted Christ, but have begun to practice some of the customs of the Jewish people, which isn't all bad as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, so he, we can gather that because you read through Hebrews. Hebrews points a lot to the Old Testament. It points to the priesthood. It points to the sacrifice. And the point of Hebrews is to draw out how Jesus is the Son of God. He has equality with God. He is equal, the same nature. And how God ordained Jesus Christ to be the atoning or the ultimate, the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he was the high priesthood. And because of our faith in Christ, we can now come into the presence of the Holy of Holies, the throne room of grace by the blood of Christ because we've been purified or sanctified and declared righteous because we're covered in the blood and the righteousness of Christ. So Hebrews does that by continually pointing to the Old Testament, saying this is what, what was put in place in the Old Testament, and this is how Jesus fulfilled all of that. So by faith in him alone, you can now enter into the presence of God. And so Hebrews is written out a lot like a sermon. There's six teaching points in Hebrews, and there's five warnings in Hebrews. And we're going to be looking at the longest teaching point that, that deals with the warning. And the reason it's the longest is because of the spiritual immaturity of the believers which this book is written to. So in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 11, and, and this is what the word of the Lord says. So we, we is meaning there's, there's many of them. That's why it's probably uh, like Apollos, one of his disciples, maybe Priscilla and Aquila, says we have a great deal to say about this. What is the this that is talking about? Well, you'd have to go back a little bit further into chapter five. And again, it's speaking about Jesus as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the atoning sacrifice and God and his righteousness and his character and his, his holiness and understanding that and, and what Jesus did so that we can now be in a right relationship with God. And he says that we have a great deal more to say about it, but it's difficult to explain. And since you have become too lazy to understand, there in verse 11, that too lazy means you've become dull. You've become so spiritually complacent. You have, you've put no effort into this relationship that you have with God. And because you have done, done that, we can't go deeper into the things of God because we have to take a step back. 
We have to give you some understanding. We have to talk to you, he goes on to say, as if you were little bitty babies. And the, the implication here is, is that there was a point in time in which this letter was written to that the believers, they had a zeal for God. They were pursuing after God and growing the relationship. But now as he comes to them and he's writing this letter, he's saying, you know what? I wish I could go further, but for some reason you stopped growing. For some reason, you've just sat there. You're not alert. You're not watching. You're not expecting anything. You're not waiting for God to turn and come back and, and take you home. Instead, you've just been going through the motions. And since you're so lazy, since you're so dull of hearing, I've got to go back and explain this. And this is the longest teaching segment of Hebrews. And he's saying right here, it's as if he didn't want to do this and felt like he shouldn't have to, but because the believers are not growing in their relationship with God, since they're not maturing, he's got to take the longest part of Hebrews just to explain and elaborate on who Jesus Christ is. Now, there were some issues with the believers here. They were going through persecution. You read through Hebrews, you can catch that. There are people who are deserting the faith. They're, they're walking away from their relationship with God. They're leaving the church. There are people dying for the faith and being martyred. And because all this happened, this body of believers has just stepped back and they've gone to a self-preservation mode. So this is how we react in life. When things get tough, and the Bible says that there are going to be storms in life, there are going to be things that are going to come, they're going to try to knock us off, and we find out what foundation we truly are on. When those storms come, we either have a fight or flight response. We either run from it and abandon it, or we fight. And as believers, the Bible says we are to fight for the faith. We are to fight. The, the believers here that this book is written to, Hebrews is written to, they were flying. Times were getting tough. They weren't understanding what was going on. They had a lot of questions, a lot of doubt. And instead of pursuing after God, instead of maturing and growing in the relationship with God, what they were doing is they're done. I'm done. So the writer is saying, you know, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could move on. I wish I could get into the, the deeper things of God with you but because you're so spiritually lazy, I can't. I wish I could give you more wisdom about the hidden things of God, but because you haven't grown, I can't. And he goes on to give this analogy in verse 12. It says, although by this time you ought to be teaching, you ought to be teachers. Instead, you need someone to teach you, to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. It's like you forgot it. So you need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. He's using this analogy that is, is used several times in Scripture. He's saying, you know what, I wish I could give you solid food, but because you haven't grown, because you haven't matured, because you aren't still pursuing after God and growing this relationship you have with God, because you aren't doing this, I have to give you milk when you should get solid food. It's this picture of a mother breastfeeding her child. 
He's basically saying, you know, you're like a little bitty baby when you've had enough time, you've had enough experiences, you've seen enough things, you should be grown. You should be eating the solid things from the word of God, but I have to break it down to basic principles for you. The idea is that this is not the natural way of a believer. A believer, the natural way of a believer is to continue to grow and continue to be able to digest and understand more things from the Word of God. I know the Bible's intimidating. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. And I'm supposed to preach on it every week. So if you feel you don't know enough about the Bible, welcome to the club. But that's not an excuse not to be growing in my relationship. I mean, can you imagine mothers? You send your kid off to school, and when it comes to lunchtime, you got to go to school so you can feed them? Can you imagine doing that to a 10-year-old, 20-year-old? Imagine having to go to college so your college student can, can have milk? If you saw that in public, I see some of your faces. You saw that. I mean, that would be our response. That's, that's just not natural. That's, that's, that's disgusting. I mean, we would wonder what's wrong with that mother? What's wrong with that child that, that they're, they're 12 years old and mommy's still coming to breastfeed them? That's, that's so weird. But this is the picture that the writer is painting. It is so weird. It is so strange. It is so unnatural that you've been in this relationship with God so much and I'm still having to breastfeed you. See, we see something wrong with the picture with a mother and a child, but there's also something wrong with the picture with the child of God and the relationship to the Word of God. That these basic principles should not be something we have to keep going over and over and over again, but we should be going after solid food. He goes on to say in chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on in hands, the resurrection dead and eternal judgment. He's saying, let's, let's not go back to this. We've already dealt with this. This is when you were saved, you came to this understanding of who God was, of these principles, that he's holy, that his wrath is upon you, that you're in your sin unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not go back to that. Let's not have to redo the resurrection. Let's not, I mean, let's celebrate it, but we shouldn't have to talk about the implications of the resurrection, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ again. You should you should be understanding this by now. You've been a believer for how long? Come on, let's move on. Let's, let's get deeper into the word. Let's understand more. The reality is this is why churches are stagnant today. It's because they are not growing in their relationship with God. They are not maturing in the faith. You want to see a church that is growing? You go to that church and you will see people that are in the Word of God. They are growing. They are pursuing. They have a thirst for Him. The churches that don't go to self-preservation and it's not about God, it comes all about them. This is the fear that if we as God's people here at Harvest Hill who've met Jesus Christ if we're not maturing in that relationship, we're not going to be going anywhere. Because if we're not maturing in our relationship, how in the world can we fulfill the Great Commission? Jesus said, 
teach others what I have taught you. How can we teach others if we're not, in fact, being taught and learning and have learned those things? See, the implication is, for me as a believer, I have to be in the Word of God. I have to be studying God's Scripture. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul had to deal with this too. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth in, in chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. Verse 2, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? The implication here that Paul is writing to his believers in Corinth is, look, I wanted to come to you and, and, and give you deep things of God. Paul, man, he knew the Old Testament. He would go to the synagogue and he would debate with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and he would baffle them. And many would come to faith. He's saying to believe in Corinth, man, I, 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 I want to give you the deep things of God. I want to open up this treasure chest of who God is, but I can't. Because you're still babies. You're not growing up. And he shows us right here how he knows they're babies. He says in verse 2, or verse 3, because you are still worldly. You want to know if you've matured in the faith, if you've matured in your relationship with Christ? You, you, you see that by the things you do. Are you more attached to this world or more attached to the next? Are you living for this world or are you living for the kingdom? Paul says, I, I, can't, I can't give you the things of God because you're still acting as if you're still in your sin." You're still acting as if Christ never came into your life, and so I, I can't give you deeper things of God because I've got to deal with that issue and why you're living worldly and not as if you're a child of the kingdom. And the evidence was seen in what they were doing. They had, they had strife and envy there in, in verse 3. They were, he says they were behaving like mere humans. Don't you know that you're a new creation in Christ? Don't you know that you are covered with the blood of Christ? Don't you know that you're a child of God? Don't you know that you're not a sinner but a saint? But you're not acting like it. So you're obviously spiritually immature. You're obviously a little bitty baby. And so since you're a little bitty baby, I'm going to talk to you like a little bitty baby. I mean, these are, these are harsh words, aren't they? but it's to wake up the believers that this is not about a one-time experience that, I'm, okay, I'm saved, so I'm set. It's about a relationship with God that I get closer to God every single day that I live and I show God flowing out of my life because I'm closer to Him every single day and people can just see God coming out of me because I'm so close to Him. That's the point. It's not to earn or prove my salvation. It is a response to my salvation. He saved me by grace. It is a free gift. And because of that, I want to know this God who loves me so much. 
I want to be in his presence. I want to hear him speaking to my heart. I want to see him transforming. It's what Paul would write in Romans, that he's transforming by the renewing of my mind. It is changing my outlook. I'm now seeing things through the lens and the, and, and, and the sight of God. I'm seeing people as sinners and not as people that just frustrate me. I'm seeing people who need grace and mercy and love and Jesus Christ. But I can't do that if I'm still immature in the faith because I can't see things that well. You wouldn't put your little child, your little baby behind a car, would you? Or behind the wheel of a car, would you? No, you'd be endangering them. They can't perceive what has to happen. They can't reach the pedals. They can't steer the wheel. And so Paul's saying, I can't give you solid food because you have not grown. You're not ready for that. I can't put you behind something that could, that could frustrate you, that could get you off the path because I got to meet you where you are. Back to my question. We started. When you came to Christ, however long that's been, would you say your maturity level, your spiritual maturity level matches your age, your spiritual age? Have you been investing in this relationship? And again, if you haven't, the only one to blame is yourself. You're either your greatest ally or your worst enemy when it comes to this relationship. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, man, I would just, I wish I knew what God was doing. I, I wish I heard from God. I wish when I read scriptures, I understood scriptures like, like other people do. I wish, I wish I knew what I should be doing in this moment. You want to know how to do that? You've got to be invested in this relationship. Go with me to Colossians real quick. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians gives us the benefits or the rewards of this. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin at the, at the end of verse 9 there. Again, written by the Apostle Paul, he says, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance, patience, joyfully, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. This is a prayer of Paul. He says in the beginning, you know, we haven't stopped praying for you, and this is our prayer. I believe this is, this is the prayer for every believer here that you, would, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What's that mean? That you, that you would come to an understanding, that you would be able to see what God is doing. You would understand God's way so much that you would be filled with it. So when the storms and the trials and the testings in the, of this life come at you, that you're able to see that God is doing something. I may not fully understand what he's doing, but I know God is good all the time and he is in this. And I know he has a good plan for me, that he's going to protect me, never leave me or forsake me. And so I, I, I'm, because I'm growing in my maturity, in my relationship with God, I'm filled with the knowledge of God, of his will, and the way that he works. Not everything is rainbow and lollipops, right? And because God is good, I can get through this because he's going with me. He's my shepherd. I will be filled with his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10 says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. So I grow in my relationship with God and my maturing so I can walk 
worthy of God. That's, that's the point of maturing in the faith. That's the point of discipleship, that we become Christ-like. We become godly. And so I, I walk, and not only do I walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of the name Christ, because I'm a Christian now, Christ, but that I bear fruit, in verse 10, in every good work. Whether you're a believer or not, you put off things in your life that people see. That's what the Bible refers to as fruit. It's those things that we just kind of, and sometimes we, we produce good fruit, and sometimes we produce bad fruit. But to grow in my relationship with God, to grow in my maturity with Christ, I'm able now to bear fruit in every good work because that's all that's coming out of me. Christ is coming in me. Christ is coming out of me. My mama always said, garbage in, garbage out, right? Christ in, Christ out. God's word in, God's word out. But that can only begin if I am maturing in my faith and I grow in the knowledge of God. I grow in the knowledge of who He is, His, His character, His holiness, His ways, His will. Being strengthened with all power, verse 11. It means I, I, don't, I don't quench the Spirit. Now I'm unleashing the Spirit according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance, patience, and joyful manner. What comes, I, I, I'm, I know that God is for me. I can endure this. I have patience. And because I, I know God is for me, I do it joyfully. I have a peace that surpasses all understanding because my joy is not built upon circumstances, but it's built upon Christ. Finally, verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father, that's worship. You want to know why so many churches struggle with worship is because they have not grown in their relationship with God. When we make worship about what sort of instruments played, what sort of song is played, what sort of decade or century it comes from, when we make it about that, we have made it about us and not about him. And all that is a reflection of is our spiritual immaturity. I don't care if it's cowbell, I don't care if it's organ, I don't care if it's choir. If I'm growing in my relationship with God and something is pointing me to, to worship God, then it doesn't matter what is leading me, I should be able to come into the presence of God and His holiness and just be in awe. So if you feel like, man, my worship is so stagnant, it's just a reflection of your relationship with God. Because if you... If you're not worshiping him and being in his presence Monday through Saturday, do you really expect that you can walk in for an hour on Sunday morning and turn it on? It's not about the band. It's about your heart. You're your greatest ally or your worst enemy when it comes to your worship, when it comes to the way you see things in life, when it comes to your knowledge of God, when it comes to I don't know enough about the Bible. That's on you. We're saved by grace, people. It's a gift. Don't you want to know about this God who saved you? Now, it would be so rude of me to preach a message like this and not give you ways to do it. That'd be just, he's a, that's a preacher's a bully. So, here, let's do some tips. If you got your Bible here physically, hold it up. If you got your phone here, Nick. I told Nick, there you are, Nick. I told Nick if he'd bring his Bible physically, I'd give him a hug. If you don't know Nick, he's a hugger. Come here, buddy. Just kidding. Where's your Bible? 
<laughs> so, phone, tablet, Bible, okay. Start reading your Bible daily. If you're already doing that, great, keep it up. If you're not, 10 to 15 minutes. I know this is an intimidating book, so let me point you to don't start in Leviticus. <laughs> Go to a gospel. Mark is the shortest of the gospels. So if you want to feel a sense of accomplishment, if you read just a chapter a day of Mark, you'll have Mark done in 16 days. Okay? Matthew's 28, you can finish that in a month if you just read a chapter a day. If you want to do more than a chapter, you want to, 10 to 15 minutes. I'm going, to, I'm going to read my Bible 10 to 15 minutes a day, okay? If you aren't doing it, just start there. If you don't understand it, great. You know what you can do? Write down the question and bring it to church. How awesome would it be to, you know, I'd get up to preach and someone's like, a preacher, a pastor, what, uh, I was reading, what does that mean? And that's what we talk about. Now, if you bring Revelation, I'm like, uh, let's pray. <laughs> but, you know, start reading the Bible. Spend some time in it. Okay, first thing. Starting point. Second thing. Study the Bible. There is a huge difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Now, let me give you a quick tip. Right now, there are books or notebooks and pens at a really cheap price <laughs> in stores. I have, I have a box in my office because I bought a box last year of, of notebooks. 50 cents, I think, in some places, quarter in others. Go to the store, grab a notebook or several notebooks and a pen, and whatever you're reading, whatever you feel led to read, sit down, find a time where, you know, if you've got kids, that they're not going to be bugging you. Find a time where you, you aren't going to be distracted by the TV I, I encourage you to turn the phone off. Um, sit there and read, and, and those questions, what does that mean? Just, you know, what does that mean? Or, or maybe you read something and say, okay, I, I think this is what is happening. I encourage the gospel because they're, they're narrative for the most part, besides Jesus' teaching. And, and so just, you know, this is what the Bible, I believe, is saying, okay? So study the Bible. This is going to take time, but again, you are your greatest ally or your worst enemy. And so I did to choose, you did to choose what I'm going to spend my time on. So I have to make time or actually take time because you can't make it. I have, to, I have to set time aside. And you know if that's going to be morning, afternoon, evening, you know it's going to work best for you. Okay, so reading and studying. Studying is different. Second, memorize. Third, memorize it. The whole thing? No. I've met one person who had the whole Bible memorized, and I was in awe of it. You know, every, every week I say some verses pretty consistently. You know, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. For wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I say some verses almost every single week. So if you don't know what verses should I memorize, maybe you memorize the verses that we, we hear almost every week. Because you're going to hear them, so you're going to be able to like, You'll be able to do that when I'm saying it. You know, it, it just going through your head because the reality is I know we have the Bible on our phones and on our tablets, but sometimes doing this and trying to pull, it's just, it doesn't work in a conversation. So if we're going to meet people where they are, we've got to have the Bible here and here. And I don't care if you have it word for word, but we should at least know the gist of it 
I would encourage you to have it word for word and know the reference. So if you were to spout out John 3.16, someone could say, where is that? You could take them. John 14.6 is another one. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are verses we've heard so many times, especially if you've grown up in the church and if you've been a believer for a while. Now it's time to just get these in our head. We can memorize stuff. You memorize social security numbers. You, remember, you memorize phone numbers. Sometimes, not anymore because we can do that thing on the phone. You, but you memorize songs, right? You have things in that head that is just wonderful wealth of knowledge, right? It's time to start putting God's word there, that we can start spouting out those things. So read it, study it, memorize it, then get in a small group. When I say small group, I mean a biblical small group. I've seen small groups and Bible studies and Sunday schools where they'll have an hour set aside and they'll spend 40 minutes talking about politics and the weather. Then they'll spend another five taking prayer requests and 10 minutes on the Bible and then they'll dismiss. That is not a biblical small group. Okay? Go with intention to small group. I want to learn about God. I want to put our small group host homes on, on display. You want to stand up for a second? Alicia, will you stand up for a second? Uh, Holtz, where are you all at? There's Charla. David's out protecting us all. Um, let's see. Uh, Marlers, your, your host home? No? No? Hesses? No? <laughs> Jane's like, I thought we were. <laughs> okay, all right. So we've got, we got, am I missing somebody? We got three, I'm already standing. <laughs> we, got, we got three up and going host homes, okay? Here, this is where it's on you now. Find and say, so when are we meeting? Where do I go? When are we meeting? Where, where do I go? Most of us meet on Sunday nights. They're different Sunday nights. Thank you, sorry. Uh, different Sunday nights. Um, you may initially think, man, I got kids. Sunday nights is tough. I, I can't get there on a Sunday night. To eliminate excuses, September 10th, we're starting Sunday morning Bible study. Okay? Jason, you're on board? Yep. yep. Youth be going. We'll have a place for the kids. So probably won't have too much going on because they have children's church, but we'll have a place for kids where they can like watch a show or something, maybe do some sort of coloring activity. Always the question is, what are we going to learn? What are you going to teach? The Bible. <laughs> okay? So if Sunday, Sunday nights just don't work, then Sunday morning. Like, well, you know, Sunday morning's tough because you got to get everybody going. Okay, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Wednesday night live. We have kids through adults Bible study going on. Adults, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. So, well, you got to get everybody fed. No, you don't. 6.30, we eat here. 7 o'clock, we get in Bible studies. 8 o'clock, we go home. The point is this. You're without excuse. You're without excuse. It's really on you to make the time, to make priorities. The danger of not maturing in the faith is walking away from it. God will never leave you or forsake you, but he still gives you and I free will that we can walk away from his love in this relationship. Judas is a prime example. 
Now, this message is primarily for believers. And so it would be unfair of me not to talk about the love of God that I've mentioned so many times. God loves you. God loves you. Your past may be flawed. It may be scarred. You may have things in your past you want nobody to know about. God already knows. There's nothing in your life hidden from him. And he loves you. He is for you. The Bible says that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. The God of life. But the gift of God salvation only through Jesus Christ the Bible says that God so loved you he so loved me he gave his only son Jesus and whoever invitation is for all whoever believes that God loves them that much and Jesus died for their sins and rose again whoever believes will be saved I don't know where you are today but you may not be at maturing yet you may need just to meet Jesus right now And God is extending an invitation. He doesn't care about your past, your track record, your resume. All he cares about is will you accept his love for you? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you know that's where you are, that you need to accept that gift, I'm going to be standing here. Just come up and say, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. We'll pray with you. We'll celebrate with you. Maybe you're here today and you just, I know this is a tough message. These are tough passages. But you know you just you have not been growing. You've been stale, you've been lazy, you've been dull. And you just need to come and commit to growing in your relationship with God this morning. What a beautiful thing to do. Wherever you are, this is the time we respond. I ask Jackson and the worship team to come on up. Let's pray as they do. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you. It's not about what we do, Lord. It's not that we have to do this. Lord, that to, to show that we love you. But Lord, it's because you've put your spirit inside of us. You've given us a desire that we should want to do this. We should be like the deer that is, is panting for streams of living water, longing for the living God. Lord, if we don't have that desire, then put it in us. If we've quenched the spirit so much that that desire is no longer there, then then put it in us. Revive us again. Awaken us. Put that fire inside of us that we had when we first came to you, when we first met you. Let us be a church that is pursuing after you, all of your people, pursuing after you, maturing in our relationship with God, growing in the faith. Father, I pray for those who are here that are just struggling right now. They're on the verge of what the believers in Hebrews are getting ready to do. They're, they're ready to give up. Maybe in their relationship with you. That may be in relationship with someone else. That may be at their job. That may be some part of their life just ready to give up. Father, give them a the desire to turn to you. Turn to so many things in this world to try to seek satisfaction, but Lord, let us turn to you. Father, I pray for the individuals here today that, that know they're not one of your child, children. They know they're not saved, they know they're lost. 
Lord, I pray in this moment, in this time, you give them the courage just to let it be known, to have that walk of victory that they understand. They want you in their life. They want to be a new creation. All that junk in the past to be gone. Father, you bring us to this time, this place, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of it. So I pray for whatever you've laid upon everybody's heart through your word, that we respond appropriately in this moment. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing. Forgive us if we failed you in any way this morning. Praise on your son's name. Stand as we sing.